The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. If you got your Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Get out your being transformed journals. You got your journal. Hold it up. Let me see it. Shake it at me. The orange pumpkin spice journal. Did you, have you scratched it? You notice it smells like pumpkin spice? I want to see if anybody would do it. It's not true. You did it. I saw somebody do it. Okay. That wasn't true. It wasn't true. Next time, spring, be like flowers. We'll do something wild. (laughs) Good to have you with us here today. Good to have you with us. We've started a series last week called Stronger. If you, uh, if you happen to miss last week's message, um, man, do yourself a favor and do the world around you a favor and go back and listen to that message because uh, my wife Sarah kicked off this series. It was such a, good, such a good message talking about this idea of this must be stronger than that. And if you were here, she told the story of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. She shared a little bit about his story and how there was this conviction that rose up in him over a culture of compromise. In fact, I've actually got uh, to the book, or one of the books she talked about. This is the Bonhoeffer book that Sarah mentioned last week, Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. Um, there's an audible version of this because it's thick. It's a big book. It's a, it's a big read. Um, but I also wanted to show you this one. This is a book called uh, the Faithful Spy by John Hendricks. And this is like a kid's version of this book. And just being totally transparent, this is the one I read. <laughs> Me and my kids read this one. And it's really good because it's like fully illustrated, like really cool art. I like art, you know, and so it's, it's really good. And it's also a great way for you to kind of open up the conversation with your, with your kids. All three of my kids have read it. And it kind of allowed us to be able to talk to them about, you know, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was dealing with in his generation, what we're dealing with in our generation, kind of get the conversations going. So there's a book for you, wherever you find yourself, whether you're an adult who can read big books like Sarah or you're a child at heart like me and you like to read the kids version. But anyways, get you one of those. You can pick them up wherever it is that you buy books. Uh, But Sarah talked about how Dietrich Bonhoeffer found himself living in Germany during the rise of the Nazi regime in the Third Reich. And he was seeing compromise take place with the church that the church was beginning to make compromises based on the regime that was rising up around them and, and even laying down truths of the word of God for what they thought were the truths of the Nazi regime. And so out of that, he began this seminary uh, in Finkenwald to help train people in the truth of the word of God. And, and he was looked at as a radical in that generation. In fact, she told a story last week where there were some people that were coming to him and going like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're going to get in trouble. This is not good. And he brought them up to this hill where they could oversee where these Nazi soldiers were being trained. And he pointed at them and said, down there is a group of people being discipled for a kingdom of terror, a kingdom of torment. And if the gospel of Jesus is going to rise up and do what it's supposed to do, then this, what we're doing has to be stronger than that. And, you know, we're living in a world where there's another kingdom at work. We are a people of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of light. But there is another kingdom that's at work, and it is a kingdom of terror. It's a kingdom built on lies. And if we are going to be the church God has called us to be and the people that God's called us to be, 
then there are some thises that have to be stronger than some thats that are at work in our generation. And so that's what this series is about. We're looking at some thises that have to be stronger than some thats. And today I want to talk to you about the this of worship that has to be stronger than the that of idolatry. If you would, would you bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray, and let's dig into the word. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing here, God. We're so grateful. Thank you for that um, we're here today and we're worshiping you and honoring you, bringing glory to you. And so we know you're here. We know you're already at work, already speaking to hearts. I pray that, Lord, you would just be transparently seen in this service, that your people would know you and that you would be the one, you would be the loudest voice in this room today. Lord, that I would disappear, that God would be heard. Holy Spirit, would you draw us to change that needs to take place in our life so that we can be who it is you've called us to be in this world. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. This worship must be stronger than that idolatry. Now, in order to understand this, we have to understand a couple of words. Like what is idolatry? What, is, what are idols today? And what is worship? Okay, so let's start with idolatry. Uh, the word idolatry by just the regular definition means idolatry is the worship of idols to which you may say, Pastor Josh, I'm good. Like I'm not, I don't bow down to any golden calves. I don't have any form of effigy in my home in any room that's kind of hidden away that I bow down to. I don't find myself being tempted when I see a, a statue or a pole to begin to worship it and honor it. I don't do that. To which I would say, that's a good start. That's a great start. Uh, but, but idols are, are actually more than that. Like well, idols, as we would think of them from a biblical, biblical perspective, are a little bit different. In fact, the Bible defines idols or idolatry as this, the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. To which you may say, I'm still good, I think. Because there's no, there's no things, there's no people, there's no stuff in my life that like I'm lifting my hands to that stuff bowing down to it, singing songs to it, to which I would say, if that's what you think worship is, then you don't really understand worship by biblical definition. Because while singing songs and lifting our hands and what we just did is a way of expressing worship to God, it's not the whole. In fact, the Bible defines worship from uh, the law first mentioned in scripture in the book of Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament and into the new, worship defined scripturally is this, worship is to kneel, to bow, to lay face down in reverence. And the idea behind this is not the actual uh, action of kneeling and bowing, but it, it's referring to a heart posture, a heart posture that we would have of a life that is submitted and, and, and surrendered to something or someone. So here's how we say it here at New Song Church. This is what worship is defined in this house. We say worship is kingship expressed. That's the idea behind this bowed down life. It's kingship expressed. Worship, true worship to God is not just a part of a service, but it's a lifestyle that's lived out that expresses that God is not just a God. He's not just the God, but he is my God. And I live in such a way that in every action of my life, every action of my life expresses his kingship rule and reign in my life. It's not my will, but it's his will be done. And if my will is contrary to his will, then my will shifts to his will. I'm submitted to his will. I'm submitted to his word. I live a bowed down life that expresses worship to God in everything that I do. 
So something you need to understand about yourself is that there is someone on the throne of your heart. For every one of you in here, there's someone on the throne of your heart. It's either God, or listen, or it's you. But someone is on the throne of your heart. Even if you say, listen, I... I don't worship God. I don't worship anyone. Listen, you're still in that moment when you say, I choose not to worship God. Or if there's an area of your life where maybe there's a lot of areas you worship God, but there's one area you're like, yeah, I don't really want to fully submit to the word of God there. In whatever area or any area where you're not submitting intentionally to God, in that area of your life, you're bowing down to the idol of self. I know better. I can be my own little God. See, the, the greatest idol against God that steals worship away from God in your life is you. Look at the person beside you and say, he's talking to you. <laughs> now look at the other person and say, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. You remember in the garden of Eden, whenever Satan came to Adam and Eve to tempt them with sin, you remember what he does? He comes to them and he begins to kind of give them these half truths and these lies. And behind them is a motivation and the motivation behind them was what? It was, you'll be like God. And there is the motivation for so much of the idolatry that takes place in our life is that we want to position ourselves to put ourselves in a God-like position in our life. We like being on the throne. So in your life, you may have some different idols you bow down to. You may bow down in some ways to the idol of sex or to career ambition or to money or to whatever it may be. But at the, at the root of, of why you bow down to the things you bow down is because you like being your own God. You're really bowing down to what you want, to your ways. Someone say, ouch. Romans 1 says it like this. I told you to turn there in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That idea of suppressing the truth means that they have, uh, the, the truth becomes ineffective. In other words, the word of God, even though it is truth and even though it is powerful, it becomes powerless in your life because you're not submitted to God through it. Verse 19, for what can be known of God uh, about God is plain to them. It's visible, it's clear, because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world in things which have been made. In other words, if you look at the world around you, you are going to see God on display. Like if you really look at this world and examine this world and how this world works and the beauty of this world, you're going to recognize there is something, this didn't just happen. There is a creator behind the things that we see in this world. It says, so they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not worship him as God or give thanks to him. There, in other words, it's possible to know God, believe in God, and yet not live a life where worship expressed, bowed down life is taking place in your life. There's a lot of people that know God, a lot of people that know about God, believe in God, but are they truly worshiping God with their, with their life? It says they became futile in their thinking. They became purposeless, pointless. That's what takes place. They're foolish. They were without understanding and their hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, claiming, hey, I got this. I got some good ways. I got some smart ways. My ways will work. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Someone say, I pity the fool. Pity the fool. 
and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they, they elevated God-created things to godly status. Sound familiar? Verse 24, therefore God gave them up. That's a scary verse. God gave them up in the lust of their own flesh to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Here's what it boils down to. Here's what adultery boils down to if you're taking notes. Idolatry is a disorder. It's a disorder. Now, when I say disorder, what I mean is there is a sequential way that God has created us to live our life, an order by which God has created us to live our life. And when we're operating in idolatry, we're out of order. We've got the wrong things in the wrong place. Mainly, the wrong idol is on the altar of our heart. Instead of God being on the altar of our heart, we've placed ourselves on the altar of our heart. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not worship Him as God. So they knew God. They just weren't worshiping him as God. You know, there's a lot of people that would say they believe in God. They, they believe in Jesus. They would even say that they love Jesus. But, but here's the difference. When the rubber meets the road in their life and, and situations rise up where it's God's way or my way, we know what they really worship by how they live their life in those moments. And what a lot of people would do today is they wouldn't say, you know what, God, I want you to bow to me. They won't say that. But what they'll do is they'll say this. They'll say, God, I, I think you just need to bend a little bit. Like we're living in a world and in a culture today that, that's saying to us, to the church, to people, you know, that Bible stuff, that's kind of old school. And we've matured. We've matured past the word of God. Like how crazy a sentence that is. We, we've grown, we've, you know, we've advanced. And so God, some of this stuff, you need to bend a little bit. Culture, like God, you need to see what's going on in the world today and bend to our culture a little bit. How many of you know, that's out of order thinking. This is out of order thinking. But this is what happens when we have idols in our life. We begin to think out of order. We get things wrong. We think we know better than God, but you don't. God's ways are higher than your ways. Someone say Amen. And so God warns us through scripture over and over again, hey guys, keep the right things in the right places. And what's the right thing that number one thing that needs to be in the right place is God on the throne of your heart. Exodus 20 verse three, you shall have no other God before me. When Jesus is asked, how do I attain eternal life? In Luke 10, 27, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your, with all your life, love the Lord your God. In Matthew 6, Jesus warns, don't, don't live like the pagans do, but instead seek first. Someone say first. first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of this is about order. It's about keeping the right place or the right things, the right God in the right place. And so idolatry is a disorder. And idolatry takes place when we take anything and we place it above God in our life. That's what an idol is. So Tim Keller says it like this, good quote. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. This is interesting. We think idols are bad things, but that's almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best 
of things. You know, very often we think that an idol is just going to be some real bad thing that we turn to. But a lot of times idols, most of the time idols are good things. In fact, a lot of times idols are even God-given things that we place on the throne of our heart that we begin to worship so that ultimately we can be placed on the throne of our heart. And here's why we do it. We go back to that original temptation. What was it? You'll be like God. And we like that. We do. You know why? Because we live in this world where we understand we can't trust everybody else. And we can't control everybody else. Have you noticed that? You can't control the people in your home. If you're married, you can't control your spouse. We can't. But we like this idea of control. And so what we do is, is we want to be in control. So we, we take these things, good things, even God-given things, and we begin to try to manipulate them and turn them into idols through which we can gain some form of control. So we take something like career ambition. You know, it's not, it's not bad. It's not sinful to have career ambition. It's a good thing to work hard. The Bible makes that clear. It's a good thing to be able to take care of your family, to leave an inheritance for your family. These are things that are sponsored in the word of God. But what becomes an idol is when we take that idea and we begin to manipulate it for our control. We turn career ambition into an idol through which we go, if I can just get enough control, if I can gain enough power, if I can grow my business enough, then I can, I can have power over people. I can have power over my future. I can have power over my life, my family. I can kind of create my own world the way I see fit to make it. And in that moment, we've turned this career ambition thing, a good thing, but we turn it into an idol that we begin to worship above God. We take something like relationships. You know, relationships are a God-given thing. God looked at Adam in the Garden of Eden before he gave us, before he gave him Eve. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. We see the Bible endorsing marriage. We see that relationship is a good thing, but what do we do? We turn relationships into an idol to this idea of like, if I can just find the right person, the right, the right guy, the right girl, the right relationship, then they will complete me. What's it about? That person giving me what I want. Listen, Jerry Maguire lied to you. <laughs> Only person that can complete you is the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we do is we go, man, if I can just get in this group and, and be connected to that person, they're going to make me feel loved. They're going to make me feel valued. They're going to make me feel seen. It's going to be so good. I need a man. Anyway, relationships, they become idols. Sex is another thing. Everybody awake? Talking about sex. Here we go. Some of you, head shot up. Always happens. You say sex in church and people go, what? <laughs> but sex is, a, you know, sex is a God thing. God created it, made it fun, right? Uh, but, but what do we do? We take something like sex and we turn it into an idol where we're through it. We're seeking our own pleasure. We're seeking control and power. Women will use sex as a way to manipulate men, to manipulate and gain power and gain being seen, being noticed, Men will use it as a way of escape, a way to, through like things like pornography, we can have what we want, when we want it, however we want it. it. It's all about being our own little God. We take stuff like even image. You know, God wants you to have a good image. 
God wants you to be an image bearer, the Bible tells us. He wants people to look at your life and see Jesus through your life. God wants you to understand the image, uh, uh, have an image of yourself where you recognize how much he loves you and cares about you. Image isn't a bad thing, but what we do is we turn image into an idol. You know what the number one job that most young people want to have today? They want to be an influencer. What is that? Person who does stuff with Play-Doh online, like whatever. But the, what, what's the goal? I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. I want to be recognized. I want to be, I want to put myself in this God-like position. Here, here's my point with all this stuff. Whatever it is, person, place, thing, if, if we place it above the Lord, in that moment, we've created an idol out of something. And ultimately, it's going to lead to an out-of-order, disordered life. David Foster Wallace says this. This is, if you've got the New Song app, this whole quote is in your app if you want to share it this week. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Anything you choose to put on the altar of your heart outside of God is going to eat your lunch. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. On one level, we all know this stuff already. The trick is keeping the truth up in daily consciousness. So, so idolatry is a disordered life, and here's what happens. A disordered life leads to an out-of-order life. Now, this out-of-order, here's what I mean. It means it don't work right. Like, have you ever experienced something that is out of order? Like a vending machine? You go to a vending machine, you want a snack, and you get there, and the little, little screen, you know, that scrolls on it, the little blue letters that says out of order, and it's like, no! Right? Or you go to the, you're going to, looking for a restroom, and, and, and you're looking, and you're like at an outlet mall or something, and you have to walk like 500 yards to get to it, and you're walking down the hall, and now you're getting closer, and your body starts realizing you're getting closer? So things start, you know, urgency and, and you get to the, you get to the door and there's a little sign with like a, a toilet with a frowny face. It says out of order. Scary, right? Or this, this is one I hate. Maybe you're at the mall and you got to go to the third floor. And so you walk over the escalator and the escalator is out of order and you're going, what do I do? Like, I'm just going to walk up this thing like a barbarian. Like, what do you expect me to do? Here's the point. When something is out of order, it, it's, it's not working in its purpose. And it becomes purposeless and it becomes useless. And I want you to know that there is a real enemy, a real devil that really does exist that is working hard to build in your mind this idea of 
you being the God of your life. Because he knows if I can steal their affection, if I can steal them away instead of putting God on the throne of their heart, if I can make them their own little gods, then I can render their life useless. Or as Jesus put it in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. No thing. So it's important that we get this right, that we put the right thing, God, on the right, in the right place on the throne of our heart. Two things that I see, I want to highlight to you here in Romans 1 that idols do. Number one is idols deceive. Idols deceive. Look back at verse 21. They became futile in their thinking. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became, they, they became fools. And one of the things that idols do is idols make you dumb. And they make you dumb to the truth and they make it hard for you to spot the real. In fact, idols kind of work like counterfeits. You guys ever got a counterfeit before? Counterfeit Louis Vuitton purse? You know, it looks just, it looks, looks kind of legit, right? Counterfeit Ray-Ban sunglasses. But what's the deal with a counterfeit? A counterfeit don't hold up. Like it wasn't made the same. It wasn't made with the same materials. It wasn't made with the same authenticity and, and, and character in the creation of it. And so when the pressure's on, when the heat is on, under the pressure, it ain't going to hold up as good. And I believe that one of the things that the devil is doing in this generation is he's placing counterfeits before people, trying to convince them that it's true, that it's real. Because if he can convince them that something that is fake is really the truth, he can steal away the truth, the real truth from them. See, one of the dangers of a counterfeit is what it does to the real brand. You got a counterfeit and you think it's real? Then you're going to believe that the counterfeit is real and that's going to do damage to what is the real. What I think is happening today is that there's a lot of counterfeit Christianity taking place. And there's a lot of counterfeit gospel that's being shared in, in counterfeit churches, houses of worship that weren't designed to worship God. They were designed to be houses that just get a lot of people together and use God as a tool. Yeah. And so people buy into that and they buy into the theory of what that church is selling. And when the heat is on, when the pressure is on, stuff like COVID-19 happens, a whole bunch of people walk away from the church because what they were taught in the church would work ain't working. And marriages fall apart and they're, they're full of fear and because they, they don't know the real and so they bought into a fake and the fake steals away the possibility of the real. Yeah. It's important that we know the truth, that we know the real. Uh, maybe some of you have seen this. There's a documentary out right now on Netflix called, about Manti Teo. Some of you maybe remember his story from a few years ago. He was this running back, or not running back, he's a linebacker at Notre Dame. And, uh, and this story came out and it was like this guy. And it was interesting because he was like at the peak of his game at this time. He was in the Heisman Trophy run. Notre Dame was good at this time, which is rare, but they were actually good. They were in the hunt for the national championship. And so this story blew up about him and, and his girlfriend. Now, here's the thing about this girlfriend he had. He met her on Facebook, but he never actually met her in real life. They had like a Facebook online relationship where he talked to her through Facebook. He texted her, he would call her, but he never met her face to face. He's, he's busy with college football, all that. So he just kind of settled for that kind of relationship because he was so busy doing his thing. So he settled for that. Well, he finds out one day that she's been in a car wreck and they take her to the hospital. And while she's in the hospital, through some tests, they discover that she has leukemia. And then just like a couple weeks later, she dies of cancer. 
And so like, I remember seeing this, this is on college game day and they're talking about this whole story and sharing about how he would call her up on the phone and they'd put the phone up to her, to her ear and she was, she, was, she was unconscious and they'd put the phone up and he'd start talking to her and, and her vital signs would go up. And you're hearing this, you're just, oh man, what an awesome guy and look what he's doing with all this grief and all this stuff. And it sounded really good until one day the story broke that the girl wasn't real. <laughs> there was no girl. Manti had been catfished. And this is before we knew about catfishing. There was no MTV series at this point. This was a new thing. <laughs> but some dude made up this profile of this girl, started going after this guy and totally tricked him. And I remember hearing this like, who does this? Like, how does this happen to you? Here's how it happened. Because Manti Teo settled. He settled for a version of relationship that wasn't really legit. He settled for something, a Facebook relationship. And we go, man, that sounds so crazy. And yet I think a lot of times in the church, we settle for this kind of relationship with God. Yeah. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and they're before and they're like, hey, do you, know, do you know Tom York? And you're like, no, I don't think I know Tom York. Like, well, you're Facebook friends with him. And you're like... Yes, that means nothing, right? Like we all know that means nothing. <laughs> like I got all sorts of Facebook friends. They just say, you know, you get a friend request and you're just like, sure, whatever, I don't know. We, but, but, but some of us, this is the kind of relationship we have with God. We've kind of settled for like the profile page relationship. We're, we're friends with him because we're a friend of a friend. Our parents knew God. And so we, we, we know about, we know certain, th like we know where he, lives and we know what he's for, at least we think we do, what he's against. But if someone was to really examine our life, there's no real evidence that we're walking with him in any real way at all. And so we've bought into a counterfeit concept of what it means to be with the Lord. And here's the sad thing. You know, one of the really sad thing is that it doesn't have to be that way. Jeremiah tells us this, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will find me. This is God talking. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is not trying to catfish you. <laughs> He's not hiding from you. He wants to be seen. So listen, you're as close to God as you choose to be. Amen. And if you don't like where you're, where you are with the Lord, then the Bible tells us to draw near to him. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That means every step you take towards God, he's taking a step towards you. So, so the question is, are you taking steps towards him? And here's the beautiful thing. When you start taking steps to him, not only do you get to know him, not only do you get to understand his character and his nature, and you step into a real relationship with him. But not only that, you get to, you now, because you know him, you can identify what's fake. You can identify when the enemy tries to bring about things to you or tries to tell you things about God because you know him, you can identify that's not true. And you can also identify when he offers you something that doesn't measure up, you can say, no, I'm not going to settle for that because I know the real. Yeah. Some of you know, I, I like shoes. I like shoes. A few years ago, I was really into shoes, but I kind of backed off that because Sarah helped me understand that I needed to chill on that a little bit. And uh, so I sold off a lot of my shoes, but at one point I was really into shoes. And I found these shoes one day on eBay. This is probably three or four years ago. Uh, Yeezy Wave Runners. Some of you may know this. It's a, it's a cool shoe, really good shoe. And I found them on eBay and they were super, like well below what they should have cost. And they had the documentations with them, StockX documentation, all the stuff that you would need to have in order to think these are legit. I looked at the pictures, they looked pretty good to me. 
I talked to the guy and I was like, hey, is this legit? And he's like, yeah, I got it from a friend and this is, I've got the paperwork, I'll send it all with it. I was like, okay, if it's not real, I'm gonna send it back. He's like, that's fine. And so he mailed them to me, I bought them. And I was kind of pumped, but also kind of like, we'll see, right? And so they came in the mail, I opened up the box, I began to look at this shoe and I recognized very quickly, this ain't real. This is not the real thing. I don't care what the paperwork says. This ain't real. You know how I knew it wasn't real? Because I've held the real. So I know this ain't the right weight. Doesn't feel like this. This ain't the right stitching. This isn't how this shoe works because I've held the real. Listen, when you know the real, you can spot the fake. When you know the real, you can spot the fake. One of the reasons God wants you to draw near to him is not only so you can be close to him, but it's so when the fake is presented to you, you can go, no, 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 I know the real, and this ain't holding up. This, this, ain't, this ain't right. I know this ain't gonna work, and so I'm not gonna settle for the fake. Listen to me when I say this. Theology is not just for Bible students. There is an incredible God that we will spend the rest of our life studying and learning and unpacking who he is, and it's just time to start now. It's time to start now. Dig into the word. Dig into who God is. Come to know him in a real way so you can understand the truth of who he is that will set you free from all the lies of the enemy. Amen? Here's number two. Idols disconnect. The second danger of idols is idols disconnect. Romans 1 verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So we're talking about the wrath of God here. Verse 24, therefore, because it keeps going on from there, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So these verses are talking about how the wrath of God and a specific aspect to the wrath of God, which is the passive wrath of God. The passive wrath of God. This is the passive wrath of God. The passive wrath of God is God backing away to allow people to experience the results of their rebellion. The passive wrath of God is when we have so marginalized God in our life that God allows us, he he hands us over to what it is that we truly want. It's God saying, okay, you don't want me? You don't want my ways? You don't want my truth? You don't want my word? Then you can have it your way. And I think so much of what we're experiencing in the world today, in America today, is the passive wrath of God. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. So much of the destruction we see is because there's been decisions that have been made that say, God, we don't want you in our schools. And God says, okay, have it your way. God, we don't want you in our government. God says, okay. If you don't want me, then you can have it your way. And I'll back away and you can have it your way. Even the church, God, we, don't, we, we want you in our church as a tool. Like we, we want you to be a means to an end and the end is getting a lot of people here. And listen, I love that there's a lot of people here. I love that this room is full. It's funny because we've, we've been going, hey, move to another service. Here's the problem now. The other services are full too. Like we've got over a thousand people coming every weekend here at New Song Church. I love that. Yes, it's awesome. Praise God. We're gonna have to add a service and you're gonna have to move to that one, okay? But I, and I love all, that you're all here, but the reason you're here is because we've exalted Jesus. 
and he draws people. He, he's the lampstand that brings people in. So we're, we're saying, God, let you be glorified. But a lot of churches, they're just after people. And so God says, okay, have it your way. You can have your little service. I just won't be a part of it. And I don't know about you. I don't want to be a part of a church that God ain't showing up. I want God on display in this house. And idols disconnect us from being able to connect with a living, loving God, with his hand in our life and his wisdom and his direction and his peace and all that he has. Idols disconnect us and keep us from that. So what do we do? If you find yourself going, man, I think I got some idols. And just so you know, if you feel that way, I felt that way earlier this week. Like you start studying this and you're going to go, oh yeah, I probably got some out of order stuff going on. So what do we do? Well, we, we said idolatry is, is a disorder. And so the antidote is rightly ordering. And that's why it's worship is greater than idolatry. Because idolatry is where we elevate ourself over God and worship is where we elevate God over self. So what do we do? Here's number one. Number one, if you find yourself dealing with an idol, number one, repent. Repent. Look at this. Acts 3.19. Here's how you repent. Repent. Turn to God. Turn to God. Notice a turn there. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And I love this. And that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Doesn't that just sound, I love that sentence. Times of refreshing from the Lord. That sounds good, right? So how do we get there? We repent. What does repent mean? Well, here's not what repent means, okay? Repent doesn't just mean you say, I'm sorry. Like a lot of people, this is what we think repent means. God, I know I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm sorry. Forgive me. <laughs> that wasn't repenting. That was, I just don't want to feel bad about what I'm doing right now, but I like what I'm doing. This is fun. Look. No, no, no. Repent means, God, I recognize I'm going the wrong direction. I'm stopping. I'm recognizing it. I'm acknowledging it. But more than that, I'm turning from my wicked ways and I'm going to go your way. And it starts in your mind. It starts in, 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 by the change of mind. In fact, the word repent is a Greek word, metanoia. Meta means change and noia means mind. So it starts in your mind. If you're truly going to repent and turn from your wicked ways, there has to be a change that takes place in your mind. How do you make a change in your mind? You do it through the word, Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Walk in the way the world is walking. Skipping towards destruction. Don't be conformed to that pattern, but be transformed, be changed, be turned from that by renewing your mind with the word of God. So the word of God is the will of God. So what happens is this, and this is how it's kingship expressed. We recognize that my way that I may be going is, it contradicts the word of God then my way is wrong. And I'm going to turn from my way towards God's way. And I'm going to express a bow down life, kingship expressed. I may want to keep going this way. This way may have felt good. I may have some stuff in me that says this is right. But if it's not right according to the word, it's wrong. It's wicked. It's evil. And so I'm going to, I'm going to recognize what God says. I'm going to turn from my wicked ways and I'm going to go in God's direction. This is a bowed down life in whatever area. If I recognize my will, my way is contradicting God's way, I submit my way to his way. Not my will, but his will be done. I repent, I turn from my wicked ways. Here's number two, is I take an aggressive stance against idols. Yes. Take an aggressive, yeah. be aggressive. Yeah. 
Be, E, aggressive, right? Be, aggressive. Here we go. Deuteronomy 12, verse three. Notice this is an aggressive verse. Tear down the altars, smash their sacred pillars, burn up their Asherah poles. Like it seems like a WWF wrestler should be saying this. Cut down their idols, yeah! I didn't do that in any of the other services. And wipe out their names from every place. There's this interesting cycle we see in scripture where the people of God would turn to idols. So what would be happening is the children of Israel would be doing good. God would be blessing them, taking care of them. And in the place of goodness and in place of blessing, they would begin to start drifting towards idols. Because what do we say? Idols a lot of times come out of the good stuff. So now things are good. And man, this is a great question. Who can the Lord bless that you won't use it against him? It's a good question, worth writing down. God blesses them, and all of a sudden they begin to take the stuff he's blessed them with, and they begin to, in their blessing, start turning to other stuff. They start turning to idols. So then what happens? Well, God gives both passive and active wrath in the, in the Old Testament, and he takes his hand away from them and gives them over to what they have and even judges them. And so now things get bad and things are not going good anymore. And, and, and typically there'd be a leader that would rise up, a prophet or a king who would rise up and recognize, hey, this is wrong. We've been doing it wrong. And he would call the people to repent. Now here's where the rubber would really meet the road. What would determine whether or not they were able to step in back into the blessing of God and walk in the blessing of God in their future had everything to do with what they did with the idols. If they didn't tear down the idols, they'd return to them. If they allowed themselves to continue to associate with pagan people who worshiped idols, if they were yoked, married into people that were idol worshipers, connecting with them in a close knit personal relationship, they would turn back to the idols. The great kings, the great leaders wouldn't just call them to repent, but would call them to tear down the idols. Why? Because if they don't, they're going to return to them. So my question to you is, if there's an idol God is highlighting, how do you tear that down so that you can elevate God? Now listen, if you're, if you're married to someone who's away from God, I'm not telling you to get a divorce, okay? I'm asking you, how do you put God in the rightful place? Like, what do, you, what do you need to do to see to it that your bow isn't going in any other direction but to the King of kings and Lord of lords? What, what is it that could be separating you? I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine you meet somebody out in the lobby, church lobby, hanging out, talking, you know, talking about how great church was. Worship was so good. That message, goodness gracious. Oh my gosh, God's so good. You meet somebody and now you got some lobby vibes going. You ever meet somebody got lobby vibes? It's like, hey, I think we're kind of lobby vibing here. This is cool. <laughs> and you keep seeing them each week, you know, and it's like, hey, lobby vibes. Hey, what's up? What's up? You know? And eventually there comes this moment where they're like, hey, we would love to have you come over and have dinner at our house. And you're like, yes, of course, this is what we do at New Song Church. I'm coming over. I'm going to bring some sides. And then we're done eating. I'm going to help you clean up everything because we share a meal together. You're not entertaining me. We're sharing a meal, right? If you don't know that, go back a couple weeks. So they invite you over. You walk into their house. You're excited, you know. You're on the way driving there, talking to your spouse, lobby vibes, feeling good. You walk in the house, and all of a sudden, the vibes go away. And the vibes get weird. Because on the walls of their house are all these pictures 
of them from the past with other people. So they're married to each other, but there's all these pictures on the walls of like them. And you can tell like, because they're clothes and where they're at and stuff like this is years past, but these are past relationships that they've had. So like there's pictures of the husband and he's like, you know, sharing a milkshake with some other girl. And there's pictures of like the, the, the wife and she's at the, at the beach in the arms of some other dude. And there's like a bunch of like all over the walls of this house. And you're kind of like, Hey, what is this? And so you sit down to dinner and you just have to ask because you had some good lobby vibes, but it's getting weird. So you got to figure this out. So you ask him like, Hey, what's up with the pictures? And they're like, Oh, you noticed the pictures? Well, those are some past relationships that we've had. And, you know, obviously we're married to each other now, but we look back at those times and we like to keep that around because it reminds us of how good it used to be. And we have those, you know, we like the frames and we like some of the memories. And to be honest with you, when this isn't going as good, sometimes I like to imagine what could have been. How many of you know you're going to be sitting there going, no, what, what? Like we all know that's not okay. Like lobby vibes are dead at this point, right? It's over. I don't know about you. Like when I got married to Sarah, we made some vows. One of which was that I would forsake all others. That means I would abandon all others. That means all of my past relationships and those memories, that all got thrown away because I can't walk with her if I'm continuing to hold on to this other stuff. I can't truly walk with her if I'm looking back at what could have been, what might have been, what used to be. I've got to tear that stuff down. I've got to tear those pictures down. Is there anything that's stealing your bow away from the Lord? Are there any pictures that you've hung up on your heart that you keep gazing at and looking at that's stealing your focus and your attention away from the one who deserves all glory and honor and praise? We got to tear down and get aggressive. Be aggressive with these idols. Maybe you say, Pastor Josh, why? Like, what's the point? Why does this matter? Three reasons, and I'll do this quickly. Number one, it's because it's important to God. Like we say, if it matters to you, it matters to God. You know why that's true? Because you matter to God. God loves you. Like, I hope you know how much God really loves you. And the reason he doesn't want you to have idols and the reason why like the idols that we place above him, the reason why they hurt his heart, because they do, is because he knows what they're gonna lead to as well. In your pride of you elevating yourself to that godlike place, you're leading your life towards destruction. Pride leads to destruction, a haughty spirit to a fall. He knows that's coming. He doesn't want you. He doesn't want that for you. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came so that you could be saved from the destruction of sin, so that you could have a relationship with God. That's that's the point. Sin separated you from God, and so God came and He sent Jesus to this world so that He could die in your place and make a way, so that God could be your Father. God wants a father relationship with you, but He can't be a father to you when you have other idols. Anywhere you have that idol, you're you're placing that above God, God can't truly be the God that he wants to be in that area of your life. So number one, it's important to God. Number two, it's important to you because listen, you are a poor excuse for a God. Like you're a bad God, just so you know, you may think you know what you want, what's best, but you don't. 
You know, God knows what you want more than you do. He knows what will truly bring fulfillment and happiness and joy and peace to your heart. You think you know, but you have no idea. And so the life submitted to God is your best life. It's the life that's going to be lead to the most fulfillment, the most peace, the most, it, it's the most life is found through a life surrendered to God with kingship expressed love to him. And number three, it's important to the church because man, something takes place when there's a bunch of people coming together with one heart and one mind that are, they're living counterculture saying, this isn't about us. This is about God. His will be done. So we will bow to him. We will live a bowed life, expressing our bow, kingship, express love to him and everything that we do, serving one another. Man, the, the world sees that. The world comes into a building where that's going on and they're going, what is this? The way you guys love each other, what is that? The way you, you people serve each other? What, 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 what's the deal? Like, what's the motivation? The way you guys give, like, why are you giving your money to that? It, it shakes up the world. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that's shaking up the world. The world needs to get shook up a little bit. But beyond that, listen, it shakes up hell. There are principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. And they see a bunch of believers coming together and they look at that and they go, oh, this is not going to end well. Hey, uh, devil, like there's a, there's something going on at New Song Church. These people have one heart, one mind. God is moving in the midst of them. There's power being released. Lives are being changed. Healing is taking place. God loves it and he's in it. This is not going to end well. Listen, they're right. A bunch of people who can focus on worship over idolatry, man, it will shake up hell. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be. I want to shake up the world and I want to shake the gates of hell for Jesus Christ. So how do we do it? We worship, must be stronger in our hearts and our lives than our, than our idolatry. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to stand with me, church. And if you or anything like I have been this week as I study this and you know, you kind of recognize there's some stuff I need to work on that's you, I want you to go ahead and kind of put your hands out in front of you and close your eyes. And if you're new here, nothing weird's about to happen, just so you know. Okay, we're good. We're cool people, okay? God's cool. We're cool because God's cool, okay? Nothing weird. Put your hands out in front of you, close your eyes. And this is just a, this is just a posture thing. This is saying to God, I want to hear from you. I'm willing to receive whatever you have to offer. And I want you to ask yourself this, or not ask yourself this. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this message? I want you to just listen. Ask, Holy Spirit, who's on the throne of my heart? Now, if there's something that God has shown you, revealed to you, I'm gonna invite you to, just as I pray this prayer of repentance over you, to just receive of this. Lord, we come to you today and we recognize that 
in your goodness, in your love, in your grace, in our, in our frailty, in our sin, in our different things, Lord, we, we, we tend to drift away from you. And we recognize today there's some idols in our life that we've placed above you. And we say to you right now, we're sorry. We ask you to forgive us. But more than that, Lord, we ask you to help us to see what you're inviting us to do to turn from our sin, to truly repent, to change our mind and to begin to go in the direction that you've called us to walk in so that we can be the people you've called us to be. And we recognize that we need this, that God, you want this and the world needs this. And we want to be who it is you've called us to be in this day and age where the kingdom of terror, a kingdom of lies is being built around us where we want to be a people who rise up and show and display the love of Jesus and the image of Christ in this world. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that maybe they have an idol that's rooted in some kind of demonic influence, Lord, I speak to those by the authority of Jesus Christ right now and I command those idols to be torn down in Jesus' name. To be torn down in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for your freedom. It is the Son who has set us free. We are free indeed. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna go ahead and invite the altar ministry team to come down at this time. If you're here today and you have a prayer need of some kind, I wanna invite you to receive what God has for you. These guys would love to pray for you. Maybe you're dealing with something in your finances, in your health. Uh, Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you, to join their faith with you for something you're believing for, whatever it may be. Like we say here at New Song Church, if it matters to you, it matters to God. We'd love to pray with you today. Maybe... Maybe today some of you are are recognizing some idle stuff in your life and you you just recognize, I think I need to confess this before someone else. Um, We're down here. We would love to to help you with that, to be a part of that. The Bible talks about how confessing to others enables us to walk and experience the healing of God. So if that's you, you want to experience true healing and true freedom from that, um, it might be on the other side of coming up to somebody and just saying, hey, this is going on. Would you pray for me? And we'd love to do that for you. We're going to go back into a time of worship here for just a moment. Uh, I want to encourage you to connect with the Lord one last time, or if you have a prayer need to come down so that you can receive prayer. Lord, I thank you for everyone here today. I pray, Lord, that you would draw everyone who needs prayer to your altars to receive what you have for them in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.